Hey everyone, it's Mignon, Grammar Girl here, and we have a special show about the spelling bee and the dreaded schwa this week. I usually try to space out the special episodes more, but we had an opportunity to interview someone from the Scripps National Spelling Bee, which is coming up, and I just couldn't resist because I think you'll find it really interesting. I know I'll watch the kids in the bee asking their questions and understand it all much better now. And then next week, I'm also going to have a special episode about one of my absolutely favorite topics, why we don't say thou anymore. And I think you'll love that too. And then after that, we'll be back to the more normal show for at least a few weeks. Let's get started. With me today, I have Brian Sietzema, one of the associate pronouncers for the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Brian, thank you so much for being here with us today. Glad to be here, Grammar Girl. <laughs> yes, I am a big fan of the spelling bee. Um, the kids are just impressive and adorable at the same time. Um, how many years have you been working with them? Uh, this bee coming up at the end of May will be my 20th uh, national bee. So uh, it's been uh, two decades now. Wow. So uh, we're going to talk about the dreaded schwa in just a minute. <laughs> but before we start, I'd love to get a little bit of um, the history of the bee. So I read that the first winner was an 11-year-old in 1925 and that the winning word was gladiolus. So about how many kids compete in the spelling bee at these, this big final round that's going to be televised? So this coming bee at the end of May, uh, we're going to have 234 spellers uh, from around the country. That's amazing. Um, and do you know how many about how many those are whittled down from? I mean, is, is the, what's the pool at the beginning that comes down to these few hundred students? Oh, quite literally thousands and thousands of spellers from every, you know, local school around the country uh, that is part of the spelling bee system. They have to win at their own school and then they have uh, district bees and uh, then state bees. And uh, so it's the winners who come ahead of all those uh, regional bees that make it to the nationals in uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah. And um, it seems a little bit like it might run in families. Like I know family support would be very important for kids who are studying for something as significant as the bee. And I saw that, you know, there are siblings and twins and legacies, kids who's, you know, older siblings were came before. Um, is that how common is that? It's very common. Uh, we Every year we have uh, spellers who either had a sibling ahead of them in the bee or even a parent in some cases who were who was a part of the bee, um, you know, a generation ago. Bee interest tends to run in families, and uh, we enjoy seeing some of those families again and again year after year as each of the kids in the family moves into uh, eligibility for the bee. And it's good training for life, isn't it? I mean, these kids I've heard go on to do, you know, interesting things as they age out of the bee, too. Absolutely. You know, studying for the spelling bee, uh, first of all, it is an exercise in self-discipline. It takes inner motivation to want to sit down with a list of words and learn their meaning, their pronunciation, and their spellings. Beyond that, uh, learning about the spelling of the English language is really a great introduction to the history of the English-speaking peoples, and uh, it, you 
get uh, knowledge of words from science, math, music, all kinds of different disciplines. Uh, English is notorious for borrowing words from languages around the world. And so you learn a little something about cultures from every continent. Uh, it's a great way to uh, build your intellectual uh, knowledge base. And one thing I was wondering, are is, is a spelling bee something that happens in, you know, countries of, that use all languages or is the spelling bee more of an English specific thing? Yeah, it was very much uh, an English specific thing, I think. I mean, I've heard of spelling bees for the Greek language, uh, but really English is the best one because many languages have reformed their spelling system so that the spelling and pronunciation match quite exactly. And if you have that, if you know how to pronounce a word, then you know how to spell a word. And English is the one that preserves the history of so many of the words' spellings. And as a result, uh, as pronunciations change, uh, there's kind of a divergence between sound and sight. And in that case, it gives you the opportunity to have a spelling bee because uh, there's all kinds of things going on. So the trickiness of our language and the fact that it encapsulates this history makes it particularly suitable for spelling bees. Exactly so. Great. So I know you wanted to talk about something the spellers call the dreaded schwa. So um, why don't you tell our listeners first, what is the schwa? So the schwa is a very basic vowel sound. In fact, it's the most basic vowel sound. It's the sound that your voice makes when all of the musculature in your vocal tract is completely relaxed. If you just breathe in and let then the air go out over your vocal cords as they vibrate, uh, what that sound that will come out is a schwa. Uh. Now, we start with the schwa and we start pinching off different parts of the vocal tract and we get all the other vowels. So if you raise your tongue near the, the front of the mouth, you get an e, i, e. If you raise your tongue near the back of the mouth, you get an oo. If you round your lips as well, ah, uh, oo. Uh, but that basic uh is kind of the, the stuff that all vowels are made of. So it's particularly troublesome for spellers because it can be represented by a whole bunch of different letters, right? It, just about any vowel letter or combination of vowel letters can be uh, manifested in speech as the schwa sound. So uh, the A in comma, the E in profit, the I in profit as well, uh, the O in uh, carrot, uh, the Y in uh, vinyl, and uh, schwa sometimes appears where there's no vowel letter at all in, in a word like rhythm or, or algorithm. Uh, suddenly, you know, there's a vowel popping up between consonant letters. Uh, likewise, vowel digraphs, so two vowels next to each other, can be a schwa sound, like in mountain, the A-I, or in ocean, the E-A, or in uh, Belgium, the I-U. Many other examples. So uh, you hear a schwa, and there's no immediate way to know which letter is being used in the spelling. So aside from just pure memorization, are there any tricks that the spellers use when they get a word that they hear the schwa and then think, oh no, you know, what, what can they do if they don't know, if they haven't memorized that word? So they're allowed to ask certain questions. One trick that they try to play is to uh, overpronounce the sound of the vowel that is a schwa 
and hope to elicit from us a yes that that's the way the word is. So if the word is telescope, that second vowel is a schwa, and they might repeat back to us, telescope, fishing for the E, and we say telescope. We just stick with the schwa sound. It's frustrating for them. But uh, things they can ask, they can ask for the, the part of speech. And that might not seem immediately like a good clue, but it can be. So, for example, uh, there are words that end in us. So something like uh, stupendous. And if you know that that's an adjective, you will be familiar with the, the very common O-U-S ending. So in that case, if you hear an adjective ending in us, uh, you can have a good guess that it's O-U-S. There's, I can't think of any adjectives that end in just U-S. Whereas if it's uh, a noun like... Uh, like the word for stomach rumbling, borborygmus. Uh, <laughs> if you know it's a noun, then uh, you, your guess will be that it doesn't end in O-U-S, but simply U-S, like many nouns that come uh, through Latin. Ah. In this case, out of Greek through Latin. Um, there are two words that sound the same, calculus. Uh, one's a noun, one's an adjective. Calculus, the math, is a noun, ends in U-S. Calculus having to do with calculi or stones, like, say, kidney stones. Mm is an adjective, and that ends in O-U-S. So if they know the part of speech, that can be a clue. In other examples, they can ask for um, the language of origin. And knowing whether a word is from Greek or from Latin can be helpful, especially in some of those connecting vowels between two roots. So uh, let's take uh, the, the word from Greek roots, metropolitan, mm -hmm. mother city, meteor and polis. Um, if you hear that second vowel, which is a schwa, you can have a pretty good guess that that's going to be an O because Greek words tend to use O as that vowel to connect two roots. Hmm. Uh, so metropolitan O. Let's use the same root for mother uh, in Latin, um, matria, matra, the word matrimonial. There again, that second vowel is a schwa. But when Latin wants to connect two roots, in this case, matra and mon, it we often use an I. And so if you know that the word is from Latin, then you can guess M-A-T-R-I, and you'd be on the right track. Hmm. Another way they can get at schwa's is for asking for alternate pronunciations. So many words have more than one pronunciation. Uh, the word for the uh, garden herb, arugula, also has the pronunciation arugula with that Y sound just before the schwa. Well, that's uh, a good indication that that vowel is a U because U is, is the only vowel that regularly uh, has alternate pronunciations with or without that Y sound. Uh, sometimes when the stress moves, of course, schwa appears in unstressed syllables largely. When the stress moves in an alternate pronunciation, then sometimes the value of that underlying vowel pops up. So a word like uh, doctrinal mm -hmm. Uh, also has the pronunciation doctrinal. And so then that second vowel, uh, doctrinal, which is a schwa in the first pronunciation, you see the full uh, long I value doctrinal in the alternate pronunciation. And there are lots of examples of that. So they can ask uh, part of speech, language of origin, alternate pronunciations. And then, of course, the meaning of the word can help too. The difference between complement, meaning something that completes with an E, and complement, meaning something nice that you say to someone with an I, knowing that difference uh, will be the clue to what that schwa is going to be in the spelling. Mm -hmm. where, do, where, do the, where do the example sentences come from? Who writes those? Uh, the the B team, uh, we have a, a word panel, and uh, they write those uh, uh, sentences to help the spellers. 
sometimes the definition by itself doesn't really help uh, understand what the thing is. But if you hear the, the use in a sentence, it, it gives you an idea of, oh, this is how it's used or this is um, the kind of animal that it is. And we try to write the sentences so that it's more illustrative of uh, what's what the word would mean. And then there's uh, we've got other people who write um, funny sentences to keep the spellers amused as well. <laughs> I know everyone loves those. Yes. Um, so thinking about word origins, actually, what is the origin of the word schwa itself? It's kind of an odd word when you think about it. It is an odd word. That, that uh, word comes from Hebrew, uh, and it means emptiness. Hmm. And that's kind of a Zen-like uh, concept for a vowel. Um, but it is, there is a, a vowel in Hebrew, uh, a little short transitional vowel, uh, that is called in Hebrew schwa, though it's not quite the same as what we call schwa in English, um, but that's where the name comes from. Now, the symbol for schwa, though, is an upside-down E, and that symbol um, was devised by uh, a linguist back in the uh, 19th century. He was describing uh, a dialect of uh, Bavarian German, and so he turned an E, e upside-down to indicate that, sh- that sound that we know as schwa, uh. Hmm. I presume because languages are so diverse, there must be languages that don't have the schwa sound at all. Is that true? Indeed. There are, you know, many languages do not have any kind of a schwa. Their vowels are all um, close to the cardinal vowels, as we call them, the full vowel sound. So a language like Greek does not have a schwa or Hawaiian or Spanish. Um, but a number of languages do have the schwa. So French has a schwa, Dutch and Welsh and uh, Russian and Ukrainian all have schwas just like English. So I would imagine, too, the language of origin, if a speller hears that a word comes from Hawaiian, for example, let's say, or a language that doesn't have the schwa, then they would be more likely to know that it doesn't have a schwa in the English spelling, Is that, right? That's another clue, right? That would be a clue in this sense, because uh, although a Hawaiian word in its native pronunciation won't have a schwa in it, when it comes into common English, uh, English speakers will often relax the unstressed vowels and not give them their full value. Um, but it's most likely when you hear a word from Hawaiian that has a schwa, that that schwa goes back to an ah sound or the letter A. Mm. Uh, so that would be a help to them knowing that language of words. That makes sense. And we, we change, of course, we change the pronunciation of words when they come into English all the time. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Are there any other words that share the same etymology as schwa? Like, are there other related words in English that go back to the same origin as schwa in Hebrew, or is it kind of out there on its own? So far as I know, it's kind of out there on its own. I mean, we've got plenty of words in English from Hebrew, but in in terms of uh, grammatical terms like that or linguistic terms, I can't think of too many others, no. Okay. One of the reasons schwa is... uh, such a difficulty for the spellers is because about a third of all the vowels in English end up being schwa. Wow. Uh, English is a language that likes to stress every other syllable. So supercalifragilisticexpialidocious <laughs> shows that tendency. Uh, but all those un- unstressed syllables uh, often end up being schwa. And so uh, if you've got a word of three syllables long, two of those generally will be stressed, but it leaves one in the middle to be unstressed. And as a result, it's true, about a third of all the, the vowels in English are schwa. So it's it's a very prevalent vowel. And uh, it's there are very few words that a speller is going to encounter in the B 
that won't have a schwa in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like gladiolus, the last syllable in that is a schwa, right? Gladiolus indeed is a schwa at the end, yep. In the very first year. <laughs> That's right. That's a good point, yeah. Wonderful. Well, why don't you tell us um, how and where people can watch The Bee this year? This will air on um, Friday, May 20th, 2022. And so this year, where can people watch this wonderful event? Uh, it's on ION TV this year. Uh, it's moved from ESPN to ION TV. And we're hoping that uh, being on that platform will allow many more people to be able to view The Bee. Right, because it's not on cable, right? It's not on cable. You don't need a cable uh, subscription in order to watch the bee this year. That's great. And what are the dates? Yes, the the competition begins itself on Tuesday, May 31st uh, with the preliminary rounds. And then it continues on uh, June 1st. And then the finals take place on the evening of Thursday, June 2nd. Wonderful. Well, I will be watching and I'm so excited for the kids to compete and have this great experience and win some wonderful prizes too. Um, thank you, Brian Sitsuma, for joining me today and telling us all about the schwa. Thank you, Mignon. Thanks everyone for listening. And you can find a link to the transcript for this podcast in the show description. 